It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. He's the all-powerful president of China. But what about the man? Who is Xi. Make no mistake about it, this is a Chinese regime like no other, because the way Xi Jinping came to power was different. Xi Jinping is about to be appointed to a third, potentially unlimited term of office, the first leader in 45 years to be on the same level as the great helmsman Mao Zedong. After Chairman Mao, China moved towards a more collective socialist leadership. And with Xi Jinping, it's gone back to one-man rule. He is setting himself up to rule for life. Under Xi, China is stronger. China is richer. China is not freer. One thing Xi Jinping has been very good at is enhancing the surveillance state to an extent that Chairman Mao would definitely have envied. Time to meet the man at the top of the sharpest pyramid in world politics. You're listening to Stories of Our Times and The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Xi Jinping, how he got to the top and how he stays there. Xi Jinping is not just China's president, but also chief of the military and general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. No one else has ever held all these jobs. And earlier this month, the party's top officials passed a new resolution, a document which lays out the only sanctioned narrative of the history of modern China, the Xi version. Xi Jinping controls China's present, and now he controls its past. This resolution is an official rewriting of history, placing Xi Jinping at the heart of the country's political narrative. And at next year's Congress, Xi is expected to win a third, potentially unlimited term. Most people didn't know who Xi Jinping was until a few years ago. Michael Sheridan is one of our most experienced China watchers. I was a foreign correspondent for British newspapers, including the Sunday Times, for 30-odd years. 
Uh, I spent 20 years in Asia covering the rise of China. And yesterday, Michael published a new profile of President Xi in the Sunday Times magazine. Even when he emerged as the leader of China, he was a rather anomalous and faceless individual. He'll never be on anybody's bedroom wall in a political poster. But he does have a kind of presence. A few years ago, Michael saw Xi Jinping in the flesh and in action. In the spring of 2014, the Sunday Times sent me to Beijing to cover the National People's Congress, which is China's version of a parliament. The event effectively marked Xi's coming out to China and the world as its new leader. One thing I learned in three or four decades as a foreign correspondent is that you always seize the chance for human contact, even if it is far away, even if it is just a glimpse of the famous person with their body language, how they interact, in the way they talk to their aides. It's always worth seeing somebody in person. The rare chance to see a Chinese leader at all is something that every journalist would want to seize. He had overcome his rivals and he'd taken all three top offices, the head of the state, the party and the army. He was number one in China. We, the foreign press, were allowed into the gallery and had the privilege of sitting there for several hours while the speeches droned on. And we saw Xi Jinping through binoculars presiding without saying anything over this enormous gathering of thousands of people. And it really was quite impressive, absolute image discipline and a kind of commanding presence. He didn't nod, he didn't smile, he didn't shake his head. It was an extraordinary exercise in self-control and something which he clearly had trained for all his life. This is not like a British prime minister in a knockabout question time at Parliament. There's only one chlorinated chicken that I can see in this house, and he's on that bench. Will he confirm again? It's not even like an American president having to give a State of the Union address. This is an event at which the key participant does not speak, except to deliver his keynote address. You're describing somebody who is almost indescribable because he gives nothing away. It's the practice of Chinese leaders honed over 30 or 40 years. Everything is by the script. Now, he does speak some English. He went to the United States as a middle-ranking politician. He likes to talk fondly of his stay with an American family. So there is an attempt, at least, to give a human dimension. We know that David Cameron, the British Prime Minister, invited President Xi for a pint in his local pub, and they appeared to enjoy it convivially together. Prime Minister, are you going to get the President's fish and chips? He is somebody who can make small talk. He can be quite blunt. When Xi Jinping went to Latin America some years ago, he made some fairly blunt remarks, complaining that foreigners were always down on China and saying, why are you against us? We don't export revolution anymore. And some of the more elite insiders in Beijing raised their eyebrows at that and thought it was far too direct. But he is pretty direct in what he wants. For example, there's the speech Xi gave in July of this year, marking the centenary of the Chinese Communist Party. 
At the same time, the Chinese people will never allow any foreign forces to bully, oppress or enslave us. Anyone who dares to try to do that will have their heads bashed blooded against the Great Wall of Steel, forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. And he has now made clear, time after time, that China, under his leadership, is taking a much stronger and more assertive stance in trade, in politics, in diplomacy. But when Xi Jinping is on parade, he realizes that he is the leader, the incarnation of a party in the nation. He's not an individual. But clearly, he's a very special kind of not an individual. Getting and holding the top job requires it. You have to have incredible dedication. You have to have the confidence of the leading families of the revolution. You need to be politically astute to navigate and master the contradictions of capitalism and socialism and Chinese nationalism mingled together. But most of all, you need to have a kind of backstage power and you need to have enough backing to outflank your rivals. And this is what he has done. Xi Jinping is someone for whom the possession of office is extremely important. Mao said that the party commands the gun and the gun commands power. So Xi will retain his military role as long as he possibly can. He has indeed changed the rules so that he can be president for life. Chinese people are now instructed in something called Xi Jinping thought. And that's the first time, really, that something like that has happened in China for three decades or more. It's a very strange paradox, isn't it? Because you've described a deliberately uncharismatic figure wielding the kind of power and influence is usually associated with the charismatic if you look at Xi Jinping's speeches, they're always very boring. But if you read between the lines, there's a bit more vigour to it. He's not afraid to quote Joseph Stalin or refer to his approval of the strongman leadership style of Vladimir Putin. The question for those around him is how much of this do you let slip to the outside world? Because the Chinese Communist Party retains the roots of secrecy and internal party discipline that characterised its early years. It began as a clandestine movement, and many of its habits remain clandestine. Yeah, we can never leave our binoculars behind, can we, when we're looking at it? You just have to hope they don't take the binoculars away. <laughs> Now let's have a look at the man himself. China is obviously a very big country. Which part is he from? Well, his father originated in the northwest of China in a very poor, desolate, sand-blown, improbable kind of place for people to live. Life was very hard and his father was from a peasant background. He survived the Red Army, he survived the Long March, he survived purges. But by the time Xi Jinping was a child, they were living in Beijing in very privileged residential compounds near the centre of the old imperial city. The important thing about Xi Jinping's family is that it is a lineage of revolutionary credibility and credentials. His father was a guerrilla leader. 
He fought with Chairman Mao uh, against the Japanese and against the nationalists in China. The communists suddenly take the initiative. The Reds, strengthened by fresh native troops, sever the railroad lines and cut off Guomindang supplies. Companies, regiments, and then whole divisions surrender to the Reds. The tide of war has turned. He survived many ups and downs, but he came out on top. By the time Xi Jinping was at junior school, his father was in several critical positions. But in 1962, he fell from power. There was a purge. Mao, from time to time, got rid of his rivals and opponents. Xi Jinping's father was unfortunate enough to fall to one of these. And the family found themselves outcasts. They lost their privileges. Xi Jinping's father was sent to detention. He was kept in the provinces. And eventually, Xi Jinping himself, as an adolescent, was sent down to the countryside with millions of other privileged youths during the Cultural Revolution, when Chairman Mao told the Communist Party's elite that they had to get closer to the peasants and the working class. That meant going to live in a pretty remote unpleasant part of China and moving from a privileged residential background in the capital to a poor, dirty, cold part of rural China. And it was pretty tough. A far cry from the rather attractive descriptions in propaganda films of the time. At dawn, the people of the commune go out to the fields. The land is held in common. The work is done together. How influential do you think that tough moment was? Every biographer and analyst of Xi Jinping asked themselves the same question, which is, how did this childhood trauma affect his personality? Living with privilege in China is living on a precipice. And I think that is something that has never left Xi Jinping. He also saw the extraordinary possibility of the reversal of fortune, One takeaway from that childhood experience, not just for Xi Jinping, but for others of his generation, is that once you've got power, you don't want to let go of it again. So they live with that constant awareness of downfall all the time. I think the bottom line on this is that this is clearly somebody with considerable stamina and resources. After the hard times Xi endured following his father's fall from grace, came the days of being mocked and underestimated. Because he got what many considered a second-class degree as a worker, peasant, soldier, student, there was quite a lot of snobbery about him that one would hear over dinner in Hong Kong and, and indeed in some Chinese cities in the late 90s. People would say, well, he's not that bright, really, and he's not really an intellectual. The class society is alive and well and living in China. The inequalities and the class distinctions are enormous. People complain about accents, and there is a great deal of regional snobbery. You've spoken about his time at university, and it's around about this time as well that he meets his first wife? He married the daughter of the Chinese ambassador to London. The union did not last. It was apparently a mismatch. I did hear in the course of research that she had dined with other prominent Chinese residents in London some years ago and had said over dinner 
that uh, she and Xi Jinping have nothing in common and that he was, in essence, looking for the traditional wife. Uh, she, however, had uh, intellectual ambitions uh, and wasn't prepared to settle for that. Now, you talked earlier about the influence of his father, who has been dead for some time, but his mother is still alive. Do we know anything about her and their relationship? We know that his mother was an extremely tough woman. She embarked on married life in the middle of a revolution and a war. She survived that experience. She held on through her husband's disgrace and internal exile. She is very ideological. At an early age, she was a scholar of Marxism, and her later career after the revolution was indeed as an educator in ideology. So she is absolutely a bedrock of intellectual and political resource for her son. And it's said that even when his father was still in exile, she convinced him to join the Communist Party as a young man. So we have this extraordinary moment where the young Xi Jinping joins the very Communist Party that is imprisoning his father as a political outcast. And I think it's really difficult for Westerners to understand the sincerity and conviction with which members of the Communist Party hold their views. This is a very tough school. There are hard knocks all along the way. These people did not just ascend to power through elite universities and public relations firms. Their parents and their ancestors fought for power and killed for power. And so they are determined to hang on to it. You've described the Chinese Communist Party as the sharpest pyramid in political power anywhere in the world. In other words, there's millions of members and one person has somehow to emerge at the top. How does that happen? Politics is not dead in China, it's just conducted by other means. Coming up, those other means and how marriage made a big difference. But first... Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate... Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The story so far, Xi Jinping has ascended from a life of poverty as the son of a Communist Party outcast to perhaps the most all-powerful leader China has seen in a hundred years. How did he manage it? The cop-out answer is that we don't know what really happens inside the inner councils of the Chinese Communist Party. At each change of power, the men, and they are all men, who make up the standing committee of the Politburo, that's the ruling body, they walk out from behind a screen and they stand in front of the cameras. And this is the first time the Chinese people have actually seen these seven or nine men who will rule them for the next five or 10 years. There is certainly plenty of jockeying for power and influence. And it goes on in the wings at party congresses and these rather formal events around the rise of Xi Jinping, one side began to leak stories about the other. Then the rival side sowed discord with falsehoods and libels on their opponents. They used Hong Kong to get out in the open some of the differences they couldn't air inside China. But this is a kabuki play, if we can borrow a Japanese phrase. It's a shadow play. You only see the shadows on the wall, and it's only when it's all over that you know what's happened. You've told us he was married, that marriage broke down, and we know he's remarried. Tell us a bit about this next wife. Xi Jinping's second wife is one of the most famous women in China. Her name is Peng Liuan. She was a very famous singer. She performed every year at the uh, National Television Gala to mark the Chinese New Year, an event of extraordinary reach because the last figures showed that it was watched by over a billion viewers. Whereas he was not very glamorous, she definitely was. Her ideological credentials were perfect. She sang non-political, syrupy, popular ballads. But she didn't hesitate to put on an olive green uniform and sing for the soldiers of the People's Liberation Army after the massacre at Tiananmen Square. She's said to conduct an almost equal relationship with him. The state news agency has released profiles of the pair of them, in which we hear that when she was performing at the National Gala, he was at home making dumplings and getting the family banquet together. And she doesn't mind when he has a few drinks with friends and watches the sports on television. It all sounds perfect. This is the party line again. He has a daughter, I believe. Can you tell us a bit about her? Xi Jinping and his wife have one child in obedience to the 
long-standing party policy at the time. She's called Mingzhe, and her name means someone who can take a responsible part in society and contribute honestly to the people's life. We know quite a lot about Mingzhe, as it happens. She went to Harvard University in the United States, and she lived in a dorm with a group of other students, a mixed dorm, different nationalities too. She made her own food and handled her chores, and she went to lectures in psychology and English. What was very interesting was that although she kept a low profile and indeed was enrolled under a false name, she attended voluntarily the lectures of an extremely famous British professor at Harvard called Roderick McFarquhar, one of the pioneering historians of Mao's cultural revolution and somebody whose lectures dealt with the most sensitive aspects of Chinese politics. He recalled Mingzhe as a very curious and attentive student who took lots of notes and never gave away anything to those around her in the lecture hall that would have betrayed her own very personal interest in who was coming out on top in China's power struggles. But she knew that he knew, and they both knew who she was and what her interest was. She was somebody who enjoyed the freedom of Harvard and definitely had her eyes opened to another way of life, didn't want to go back to Beijing, had to go back to Beijing at the end of her degree. But the latest we hear is that she has persuaded her father to allow her to return to Harvard, and I'm told that she is in fact there again at the moment. You've talked about how Xi Jinping got to the top. Let's talk a bit now about how he stays there. Make no mistake about it, this is a Chinese regime like no other for the last 30 years. The way Xi Jinping came to power was different. The previous two presidents and chiefs of the party and their prime ministers came to power through an orchestrated change of collective leadership. And there was a handover between those administrations. The losing faction were not excessively penalised. Some of them went to jail for a while. But, for example, the ousted prime minister, Zhao Ziyang, was allowed to live out his life in his house in Beijing. But in 2012, Xi Jinping broke that model. He fought for power against two or three rivals. And he broke the principal rival, uh, very charismatic and utterly corrupt politician called Bo Shilai. And he also brought down the sinister and very unpleasant head of the secret police, a man called Zhao Yongkang, who was Bo's ally. It was the verdict that all of China was waiting for. Bo Zhilai is sentenced to life imprisonment and seizure of all his personal assets for committing bribery crimes. The fate sealed for political princeling and once rising star of the Communist Party. They are in maximum security prison and they are not coming out anytime soon. She then conducted a purge both of high party officials and of senior people in the army. All of this was done in the guise of an anti-corruption drive. The news, four top officials removed for taking bribes, was announced on state TV, while the anchor underlined the resolve in the Communist Party's fight against corruption. It's a time-tested method of disposing of your rivals. What does this mean? It means that, unlike his two predecessors, Xi Jinping cannot simply assume he can go into a peaceful retirement. 
Many people in China think that he has to stay in power and more so the clique around him have to stay in power because if they fall, what awaits them will be very unpleasant indeed. That's why he is setting himself up to rule for life. And a lot of people inside China and a lot of people outside China, not least in the United States and Japan, think this is a very risky situation. Does the psychology which is entailed by such a process help explain his and the Chinese government's attitudes towards Hong Kong, towards the Uyghurs and to other expressions of dissent or difference? The Chinese state has always had a fixation with control. In Hong Kong, that has led it to impose a national security law to stifle what remained of political contention and debate. What I find harder to explain are its policies in uh, Xinjiang, the far west of China. I went round Xinjiang, I saw the Muslim population. Uh, we were there in the aftermath of violence and terrorism and riots and repression. But the fact was that China always had this region under a very firm grip. There was practically no possibility of any serious challenge to Chinese rule. So I find it hard to grasp why Xi and his fellow leaders have chosen to impose such a tough regime on Xinjiang. Women in China's so-called re-education camps have been systematically raped and tortured. It's estimated more than a million men and women have been detained in the camps in China's northwest Xinjiang region. China claims the camps are re-education... Mass incarceration, forced labour compulsory sterilization, brutal treatment. This is a policy that offends against almost every canon of discrimination that you can think about. People who are Muslims, who are ethnically different, who are female, who are old, who are disabled. And it's really hard to grasp why such a, a harsh policy has become necessary. All we know is that it bears the personal stamp of President Xi, and certainly the people conducting it do so with his complete knowledge and on his direct orders, which, uh, when the time comes, is unlikely to exculpate them from the consequences of their actions. While we know a lot about the treatment of minorities under Xi Jinping, it's impossible to know for sure how his actions are being received by the woman on the Wuhan bullet train, the Chinese public. Almost every measurement of public opinion in China is unreliable or false. There is no real free expression in China. You can't express yourself on the internet for very long without being stamped on. One thing Xi Jinping has been very good at is enhancing the surveillance state. The Chinese government is now capable of monitoring its citizens' activities online and in their daily lives to an extent that Chairman Mao would definitely have envied. He has, of course, used COVID and the measures taken in the name of public health to strengthen surveillance and control. So what we hear in the outside world about what the Chinese people think uh, is unreliable. This is the impossible question I'm going to ask you now, Michael. 
If you had to guess, how do you think history will view him? Will it put him up there with Mao? Will it put him up there with Deng Xiaoping? Or is he destined to be a lesser figure? History will put Xi Jinping up as one of the three most powerful leaders of post-revolutionary China. Whether it will be kind to him, I doubt. Your guess would be, I presume, that Xi will die happily in his bed, but that what follows could be much more problematic. I would not bet against Xi Jinping at this point. On the other hand, you have to ask yourself what legacy he sees for himself. He's talked about the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. He's associated that with taking back Taiwan and perhaps removing American influence from Asia. These are very grand designs. And what we saw with Mao was that as one of his biographers, analysts put it, great visions become the prelude to great crimes. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, former Sunday Times foreign correspondent Michael Sheridan. Michael's latest book, The Gate to China, was published in September. The producers were Chris Wade and Arlie Adlington, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. We really love hearing from you. It's true. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.